last person in my neighborhood to cut their grass. But then again, I'm the only, we're the only family under the age of 50. Uh-huh. So they have a lot of time to cut their grass, sure. right? So, and I don't have a lo- like a riding lawnmower. What? Um, you push mow your entire yard? I push mow my entire you yard. You are a man. And so, I use the church's zero turn, man. We are living in different worlds, you and I. Yes, yeah, so you don't have a very big yard. That's right. That's I, hilarious. I, I it probably know. takes you five minutes. Well, and I, so I mow uh, the house next door that the church owns, too, Okay. But in an hour, I'm done with everything. Oh, edgy. Where are you at? How, how long does it take you? Uh, I, well, okay, so let me, I'll answer that question, because I don't <laughs> actually have a good answer right now. So, uh, so it's um, Saturday here at Redeemer, we... Filmed yeah. the Sunday service on Saturday, so I'm like, I went home. I had already been to Lowe's and bought mulch and bought some other things. My yard is mostly weeds, and I'm, I've been trying uh, effortlessly to um, get grass to grow. Mm-hmm. And so every spring, I'm ready for battle. And uh, so I bought all this stuff, but I needed to cut the grass first before I could lay down the fertilizer, lay down the seed, put the, put the straw down. So it's it's uh, Saturday afternoon. I'm all ready. It's a beautiful day. Lawnmower won't work. Oh, no. Yep. Uh, tried for a few hours, could not get it to work. Sunday comes. Uh, we have, we watch the ser- service. Then I go outside. I'm going to try again to try to get the lawnmower to work. Won't work. Uh, I tried all different things. Went to Lowe's three different times to try to get stuff to get it to work. Will not work. Uh, one of the guys in our church, he's kind of mechanical, like he likes to fiddle with things. I'll, I'll take a lock, right? He comes in the backyard, can't get it to work. Uh, it's now, so Sunday's gone. Right. I mean, like yes. we've tried all these different things. I'm like, all right, I've got to, I got to, I got to make a decision. So I, you know, we have the, the, uh, the meeting in the, in the, in the living room, me with me and the wife about, Hey, I can't get the lawnmower to work. Um, we're going to have to buy a new lawnmower cause Right. I'm not an expert on two-cycle engines or four-cycle engines, and uh, I put gas and all these different things. It just won't work. Right, right. So I was like, we should go electric. We should go Tesla on with the lawnmower, basically. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so I did a little bit of research, went to Home Depot, bought the electric, oh, right? Oh, boy. Pulled it out, um, and the battery only had like half life. Yeah. So already we're, we're not starting off well. Yeah. So couldn't finish it all that day. So Monday, new day, uh, told Jackson, uh, hey, can't do the podcast on Monday. Have a lot of um, yard work to do. Got the, got the mower out, mowed most of the yard, battery died. Oh, no. Had to put, I have two batteries because I have a weed eater from the same company. Uh-huh. And they, you know, they can like uh, cross yeah. use, right? So finished the yard. Mowed it, looks great. Did all the seeding, did all the straw, finished the straw yesterday, did all the mulching, had to buy mul- more mulch because we didn't get by enough. So positive gains okay. on Monday. And so that's why we didn't do the podcast on Monday. <laughs> and, and here we are on Thursday. I, I thought there was, man, a really bad turn coming in this story, but no. you won. Good no, for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, Good I won you. with pocket money, like with money. Yeah. I, I did not, that's you know, true. I was not stubborn to go, well, I'm going to fix this. Yeah, sure. Because grass was growing, mm-hmm. and it was getting taller, and the every day went by, I was more embarrassed. Yeah. So I succumbed to that. So right. here we are. Very good. So that's why we're doing this on Thursday and not not Monday. So And this is uh, the second part of a two-part sort of we're situation. We're already on two parts. That's, this is I, great. I'll tell you what. Um, We've really so, grown up, haven't we? So last <laughs> week, we, we were talking about the future, and we had... Uh, a few articles that we tried to look at 
some of the positive kind of things that are coming in the future, talking about virtual reality and self-driving cars. Um, but there are dark clouds over some of the things coming in the future, and some of those dark clouds are already here in the present. And mm -hmm. uh, really, wisdom is looking at both sides of every issue, and there was so much to this that we wanted to really kind of focus on the positives last week and talk about a little bit of kind of the things we should be concerned about. And mm. things to keep an eye on as the future is coming. Uh, we've been talking about the future coming for a long time. I can remember growing up in the 1980s, you know, everybody thought by the time year 2000 gets here, you know, I mean, 2001, apparently we were going to have a space odyssey. Uh, that was a thing that, you know, we're still waiting on here in 2020. Right. Um, and, and we so make we, movies about space. We don't go to space. Right. <laughs> and we seemed, you know, so worried. I can remember, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we'd, we'd be worried about things like... Um, people living with screens on their face and what's it is scary to me sometimes that we look around and we kind of go well well we're not just screens on our face we just hold them in our hands and we just stare at the screens while they're in our hands right so that when we get to the point where somebody will be ready to put a screen on our face we're like well that's better than the alternative which i'm already living in staring at my hand um and so the future is already here and we can talk about that um and so those are the things that we want to focus on uh today uh looking at what, what should we watch out for? I guess is the future good? Right. Or is it disappointing? Uh, I mean, I, watching Back to the Future, the movie, you know, when they go in the second one, they go into the future. What year is that? Was that 2000 and... Because oh, they what celebrated uh, recently because even the Cubs win the World Series. Right, right. Yes. And, and I can't remember, uh, gosh, I can't remember the year from the Back to the Future 2. So it starts in 1985, and so it's some... Something five twenty. Is it twenty fifteen? Twenty twenty fifteen. I don't know. It's been so long since I've watched Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, One, and so, um, but you know, he has the famous hoverboard. Right. Where's the hoverboard? Right. Where's that at? I don't know. They had flying cars, right? But that everyone kind of assumed we'd have flying cars, right? But right. the hoverboard—that's right. what we were waiting for, and we still haven't gotten the hoverboard. I've not seen them. No, we get the we get those I'm ones going. that people have. They catch fire. Yeah. And then, like, silly people, celebrities ride them, and they fall off and break some bone in their body and yeah, things and like that. We, but no hoverboard. with a couple of wheels is not impressive. This is no. not where I thought we'd be. No. And, you know. That's a glorified skateboard. Right. I want a hoverboard. Yeah. And then with the Nike shoes that he wears, right? Yeah. And the, the self-drying clothes. Right. Dry fit is not self-driving. That's right. <laughs> Nike's only got is dry fit. They yeah. don't have self-drying clothes, you know. So we've got a long way to go. So we're going to uh, pull a lot of this. Russ Douthat has recently written a book uh, called The Decadent Society. And it's a lot about kind of just things that we should be concerned about uh, right now, um, where we might be. Uh, but before we get there, we want to take a, a detour through an article that came up recently uh, on the Gospel Coalition, right, about how the coronavirus uh, could be changing Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the claim, I thought it was a very bold claim, coronavirus could kill consumer Christianity. Could you define for me what is consumer Christianity, Matt? Wait, I wonder if we'll have similar definitions uh, or uh, different definitions, but... You know, I think of consumer Christianity, like I think of, I'm sorry to say this, I know that you go every year, but I think of kind of like passion okay, yeah. a little bit. I think I think of this overly produced, um, you know, very centered on emotional music, mm -hmm. 
uh, emotional preaching mm-hmm. or teaching, uh, kind of uh, fancy lights, uh, fancy uh, rooms and things where that's and it, where where it's very prog- program driven, production driven, um, very much influenced by setting moods and environment. If you want to go into like church history past, you think of like. Um, kind of the great awake, the second great awakening, right? And uh, this, which kind of started revivalism, right? Um, as a thing, um, and this is kind of its um, byproduct, right. its consumer Christianity of kind of going and and uh, not really necessarily you're participating in a sense where you're there actively worshiping or you're you believe in this equally as the people on stage, but you're kind of uh, maybe uh, devouring or, or eating like an emotionalism, right? To make you feel good or make you feel like you are a follower of Christ, but you've actually never put any faith or trust in Christ at all. Yeah. So what can you do for me today? That's good, uh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. yeah consumer exactly. Christianity would be very self-centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, me-centered Christianity. What, what does Christianity have to offer me? And most specifically, uh, I have no interest in sacrificing right. myself. right. Uh, I intend to be the receiver right. only. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I think in the New Testament you see plenty of oh, yeah. occasions where sure. people, you know, hey, you know, what's in this for me? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think Judas Iscariot would be the first That's advocate of consumer Christianity. Yeah. You know, this Jesus, he could make me 30 pieces of silver, and so I sell him down the road yeah. for it. Um and most and, of the other people who followed Jesus, especially the crowds that followed him, right? right? I mean, you mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was really helpful, just talking about just the the five thousand who were fed by Christ. You know, I don't. I think at the end of the day, like after he ascended into heaven, there was only like a what a hundred plus that were in the upper room right. and received the Holy Spirit. So, pretty significant crowd decrease right. from what we saw a lot in a lot of Jesus's ministry, and so you can almost say. Uh, I think properly that they were consumer Christians or consumer followers of Jesus, right? Right. Um, so this has been around since day one, right? And um, and I think as a church planner, someone who's planted planted help plant two churches and um, was more the the primary church planner for Redeemer, you know, consumer Christianity really kind of it, it really hits us really hard because I think we're in this kind of arms race where. Mm-hmm. We're trying to gather a congregation, and there's this groups of congregation that are just kind of like giving out prizes and candy and right. cake and goodies for people, and not giving people the real gospel. Right. You know, and um, and that's a frustrating, frustrating reality. Um, and as especially as a, a, a kind of as you gather like a, a congregation with very few people, you want people to be sold out for not only the gospel but also for the church. And when right. they don't sell out, it affects. The people, mostly in smaller smaller congregations, yeah. you probably feel this in your church as well. Oh yeah, it, it's you know if you're talking about consumer Christianity, then generally there's not an emphasis on repentance of sin uh, because the emphasis is on how Jesus wants to make your life better, um, how probably you are just not aware of some of the promises that may be out there for you, and that if you could become aware of them, uh, then apparently that would, you could unlock them. There's a lot of language that you can directly associate uh, with consumer Christianity. And so this claim in the article is that the coronavirus is, is at this moment 
first of all, uh, a, a negative uh, towards consumer Christianity. It's, it is harming consumer Christianity, and they, they basically say uh, three things, uh, really, of how that's happening. Uh, so one, they say that it's stripping the church of excess. Mm-hmm. Look, we can't even get together, uh, <laughs> much less um, do the fun things and, and uh, uh, the things that people tend to look forward to. And as a person who's been working in youth ministry for almost 20 years, look, youth ministry has been responsible for a fair amount of uh, consumer Christianity. One of the ways that you can see the church has changed in the last, say, 30 to 40 uh, years is that what people received in their youth group, a little bit of fun mixed with message of the gospel, hopefully, uh, maybe some treats mm-hmm. that revolve or close to uh, fellowship or these sorts of things. Uh, youth ministry mm-hmm. has led the way in mm-hmm. some of that. And certainly during this time, the church has been stripped of excess because, I mean, the thing about this is it's not... Um, it's not just that the church has been stripped of excess. The church has been stripped of most of the ability to do what we normally do. Mm. It is seemingly more helpful to our neighbor right now to stay away from them than to serve them. And mm-hmm. that's not good for mm. Christianity. But at the same time, we are also not able to do the frivolous things that might uh, creep up around uh, our churches. Too. So that one I don't, I don't count as much of a, a, a sound win. The second one I think is a little more interesting to talk yeah. about, blowing yeah. up the notion of Sunday-only faith. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, I, you know, um, and I think, it, again, going back to being a church planner, you know, you, you're really fighting with people to be involved in the community, not just on Sunday, right? You say, I think I, I can't. If I, if I received a dollar for every time I said that from the pulpit or just mm-hmm. in common discipleship, I'd be a millionaire. Just like don't be a Sunday-only per- churchgoer. Right. You know, right. Be involved in the community during the week. Right. Uh, be active in the, in the life of the church outside of Sunday. Um, but I think it, it, the reason why there's a big frustration to struggle with people because is that most for most people, that's the, the Christian exp- or the church experience that they know is – you go to church on Sunday, right? You go to the production. You go to the, in a, in a sense, you go to the theater. Mm-hmm. You watch the actors on stage. They perform for you, uh, some of them quite well, musically or through communication uh, or like oratorially. They are very effective. And you leave, right? You've received your kind of uh, nugget for the week, and you go about your day, and then you come back the next Sunday or maybe a month later, right. you know? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, when you can't go to church on Sunday, when you actively um, have to go and and watch the video, like watch whatever they put together, uh, and then you're like, well, you know, there was a few people that I would talk to as I walked out of the church. Well, I don't see those people anymore. Right. Where I don't, I, I need encouragement from people, and you can't just. There's no church to go to. There's no hallway to to or bathroom to go into to talk to someone. Uh, so you have to. Go and uh, when they're, if they're going to have like a, a Zoom fellowship or whatever they're going to do, you have to actively go and mm-hmm. interact with people, um, and uh, and so this has totally blown that up. Um, you can't just go to church, sit in the pew, and then quietly leave. Right. 
uh, and just kind of get your Christian nugget and then yeah, go. I feel like you've checked the box. Yeah. You've checked your box. There is you. There's so much more that you are now noticing that you're lacking. Right. Um, and they've definitely. I think this coronavirus pandemic has, hopefully, for those who are true Christians, who have kind of like casually been involved in the church or have been awoken to their sin and going like, I'm not. The, I've been doing this the wrong way. Yeah. So it. It's, it's interesting because this one basically is there uh, because we've been evacuated from travel. Uh, and so you yep. have this question about, well, I didn't go to church. What, what is it that I do that, that makes me a Christian? And I think any of us who uh, have spent time in the church know what it's like to at first kind of go, so what? I just showed up here and then it's big deal. What is yeah. that? What kind of a difference does that make? And... For a while, if, if you have been in a watered-down preaching situation where the difference between the life of a believer and the life of an unbliever is not clear, then it will th- be very hard to understand what is the difference. What, what, is, yeah. what is it about my everyday life as a believer that is so different mm. than the life of an unbeliever? Um, the strange thing is, though, I really do uh, think if you read, if, if say, uh, especially in America, if someone were to have the wherewithal to sit down and read the New Testament, and, and admittedly it would take some time, but walk away from the New Testament going, what was I just told about the state of our world? Uh, and what is the change that this Jesus intends to make? Well, mm. I mean, look. Think about somebody like the Apostle John who comes and, and in First John, for instance, has messages like, you know, look, dear children, you are of God, mm. and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a bold dichotomy. This is, mm-hmm. this is a light and darkness mm-hmm. uh, situation here. And so... We have two choices in every day. We are either an agent of Christ spreading love and hope and peace of the kind of God's peace, which is I, he fights against the darkness, he fights against the evil, or we contribute to the darkness mm-hmm. through not just hatred, which our world loves to talk about hatred, apathy. Mm-hmm. You know, people who came to Jesus wanting to self-justify and say, hey, who's my neighbor? I think I'm doing a pretty good job here. Mm-hmm. So tell me who my neighbor is. It's like, oh, let me tell you a story. Guy sees another guy, doesn't do anything for him. One guy sees a guy and helps him out. Who was the neighbor? Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the guy who helped. Yeah, you go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Jesus would have none of this. People going, trying to split hairs over who's their neighbor. And he says, yeah. look, you need to realize that you can either be a consumer, a vacuum cleaner, or you can be a leaf blower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And a leaf blower is an act of service uh, to, to your whole community that you are outgoing. And, and so our world is not so odd, really, in that consumer Christianity. I would say consumer Christianity is pretty much everybody's first move when you encounter Jesus. And he's like, yeah, I'm will, willing to serve you. Mm. But if I really serve you, mm. unless I wash you, you don't have any part with me. That's right. like he says to Peter, That's right. I'm intending to change you while I'm serving you. Mm. And there are always people who are kind of going to Jesus and say, well, let me see if I can 
change you, Jesus. Yeah. And um, I don't think we do that successfully, but I think we can co-opt and convince ourselves sometimes that we have. Um, and so yeah. uh, this, is, this is fundamentally necessary that we realize that we are either an agent of change in this world or we have adapted and we go at, we're going at the flow of a fallen world that is, that is under the sway of the devil intent on nothing but destruction. Um, and and think, there's, no, yeah. there's no middle way. There's no middle ground. It's interesting because I've had a few people since I've posted this article on Facebook and actually had someone that I saw at the store who I knew mentioned this as well. Very encouraged by this article. It's interesting. Like you would, you would think that this would be like a, oh my goodness, like if that means that there's going to be a bunch of people that like leave the church, like that would be something like we should, you know, want to try to stop, right? But I think for again, for, as pastors of smaller churches, like to realize that a lot of churches out there are really operating with. Uh, large congregations of people really there for their own betterment, not for the sake of, as you're mentioning there, like actually being transformed by Christ that then leads to transformation of others. They're there to, because of a cultural, you know, right. requirement. We live in the Southwest Indiana. Therefore, this is what you do to show you're kind of a good citizen, right. a good person. You go to church um, to kind of learn about how to act in, in the world uh, to be a good citizen, to be a good neighbor, um, but very little of actually wanting to be transformed by Christ and following Christ. Um, and I think as as pastors and, and leaders who are, we talked about this when we talked about youth ministry, of wanting to disciple people the way that Christ calls us to do that, and realizing like um, that's what we should be doing, that's what we should be doing with most of our thoughts, is how yeah. to disciple people, and not trying to be... Uh, how to get more consumers mm-hmm. into our church. Right. I think this is kind of a uh, refreshing um, encouragement that what we may see in the church in the future is people that are actually sold out for the gospel and truly want to be transformed by Christ uh, and not just simply there to be um, entertained or to be, uh, in a sense, um, that you're there kind of their psychiatrist. Right. There to counsel them yep. through their problems and through their struggles uh, and try to give them a sense of, like, earthly hope. Right. I think that's what a lot of people want is some type of psychiatrist to kind of give them how do they, how do they find meaning in their life? How do, they, how do they get through their struggles? How do they be a better parent? How do they feel good right. about themselves emotionally? And there are some pastors and churches that are willing to give that to people. Yeah, so. it's scary. Uh, it's scary that there is, there is a movement uh, of people in general out there that uh, in terms of psychology, it's like, Will you help me to self-actualize? Mm. I have, I, I, I would like to have a wife who kind of does whatever I want and never gives me trouble and then kids who behave so that I can live like a comfortable sort of suburban existence mm-hmm. and not really have any kind of inner dissonance and just feel generally happy most mm-hmm. days. And man, it is scary that, that Christianity can be co-opted to go, well, yes, of course. Yeah. We would love to assist you. In that goal, and that is, uh, and folks, I, I hate to say this, but look, if that's what you think Christianity is, you've picked up the wrong Christianity, yeah. because that is not why Jesus came to die. Uh, what it would be better for us is if we could go, I want to be a part of something bigger, because this world is really broken, mm. and to live in a little suburb and to go, 
there probably aren't any problems anywhere uh, is not true, first mm-hmm. of all. Uh, and it's certainly not good <laughs> or beautiful to live that way. There mm-hmm. are big problems in our world, and Jesus says to us, look, you have a role to play in this, and that's what I'm asking you to, you to do. You're not going to do it all, and I don't intend for you to live in a cave somewhere, you know, being a monk, just right. kind of saying, like, no, I've left, you know, I don't yeah. have a wife anymore. I yeah. don't have... No, you do, your, you do what you're supposed to. You take care of your family and these sorts of things, mm-hmm. but it's a broken world, and we have a part to play yeah. in, in serving. And, and that's just... There is... There is a way forward when we can go, oh, so it's not about me, that there's a bigger movement in this world than just me having the things that I want and kind of just being at equilibrium. Yeah. Um, th- there is, finding yourself in a bigger mission is, uh, and this is something that is, is being discovered even today. I read a book recently by Jonathan Haidt uh, about uh, the happiness hypothesis, and he mm-hmm. talks about finding your, finding a cause bigger than yourself is one of the best things you can do for your own mental health. Right. Because if you think that part of the problem with, with thinking, the problem with the world is that it's just not meeting my needs. It's like, well, yeah, the world is pretty opposed to your needs uh, in general. And, and if you increasingly are, are going to say, I, I need more stuff every day. I need a better pay, a better job, more happiness, more of the things. Well, that's just not generally the way things go. Yeah. Um, but if you commit yourself to a mission, uh, well, then other people might get on board with that. The problem, uh, the other problem with thinking of the world in terms of my gain is that everybody will come to think of the world in terms of their gain, and then it's just a zero-sum game. Everybody's exactly. going to take more for themselves, and we're going to be surprised when you get undercut at work by the yeah. guy who gets the promotion that yeah. you didn't like, get. That's weird. He yeah. wanted to take over everything, too. Why is God blessing him more than me? Uh, so... And I, I wonder, now he doesn't talk about this in this article, and it's a fairly short article, but you know, how will this affect in real numbers? Like, you're, when I'm talking about churches or consumer Christianity, like, you're talking about like Joel Osteen type churches, too, because I think, like, if you look at the top 10 biggest churches in America, I think most of them are prosperity gospel churches, like Joel Olstein, T.D. Jakes, uh, a lot of these kind of what we would claim like prosperity gospel centric yeah. churches are, I think, the biggest churches in the United States. Um, and while in our kind of circles we may look to like Capitol Hill Baptist Church or uh, some other churches, they're definitely not the biggest churches. Right. Um, and the biggest churches are, you know, Joel Stein, these type of churches. And how this will affect them. Mm-hmm. Because th- that is really, I think, the epicenter of consumer Christianity. Sure. Um, and. The, the preaching that says God desires to bless you materialistically through health, through wealth, um, just listen to what I say, follow my formula, and you, God will bless you the same way he's blessed me. Well, once those people start losing jobs, losing money, losing the wealth that they were promised, they're going to start associating Christian faith with prosperity, when they realize, I've done all this, I've done all that, why have I not received prosperity? They're going to realize that all that's false gold, right? It's all, either they're going to seek the true faith, the true gospel, or they're going to withdraw themselves from Christian faith completely. And so it'll be interesting to see down the road how this has affected those types of churches. Yeah, and and in that regard, I I can agree uh, with kind of the takeaway that, that this is this is basically a refutation of a lot of the name it, claim it sort of, you know, 
uh, nobody's out there. I have not heard of any uh, prosperity preachers just out there going, look, you tell that coronavirus. You don't mess with me. Yeah, you other know? than the, the president of, trans, uh, of uh, Tanzania. I mean, I, I, you mentioned yeah, this. He's, yeah. no, no coronavirus is going to revive in the body of Christ. It will be burned. Right. And, you know... <laughs> Direct uh, quote, by the way. <laughs> uh, what things we can claim is something that uh, we all have to learn within uh, Christianity. What things we can, we can say uh, <laughs> Jesus has already defeated and what things we long for uh, to be defeated one day. The third, uh, the third takeaway that uh, he mentions is that uh, we need to be challenging Christians to give without getting, which is what a part of this is, is that mm-hmm. um, a lot of churches have, have had to face a harsh reality that a lot of people don't give uh, financially or otherwise. Mm-hmm. This, in a lot of ways, has been a vacation mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people giving to the church, whether that's their time, talent, uh, treasure, uh, any, yeah. any of these right. things. Right. And uh, the giving, though even when you receive nothing, is a sign of genuine faith. That, mm-hmm. that look, I, I give because I support the mission, not because I get anything out of this. And this is a pretty stark reminder that you're not getting a whole lot out of this. If you're a believer, you are giving to your church, hopefully because you believe in that movement, that mm-hmm. you believe that it's worth some yeah. of your wealth going away from you, some of your time going away from mm-hmm. you, so that this movement can go forward. And um, that is a straightforward challenge right now to our entire drive for self-fulfillment for for giving in order to get right uh and and so i I think that one straightforwardly is is happening it's interesting because if you read a lot of books on like church giving uh they'll say things like this is not give they're not giving to a budget they're giving to they're investing right they're investing in a cause they're investing in a mission right i think that language is helpful i get it but what, there's no investment. I mean, there's no mission going on, right? There's uh, a church right now is basically limited to bare bones of potentially maybe a Sunday morning video, right. if they have the means to do so. Maybe the pastor will do a prayer meeting on, online. Right. Maybe. And then, I mean, maybe. Con- contact through yeah, maybe. You know, online right. phone calls, these sorts of things, yeah. which is not a terrible there's no. There's no... Um, there's no like ministry to the children or the widows going on right now. Right. Yeah. We've been cordoned off from yeah. the widows. People don't want other people around their children. Yeah. Right. We can't we go door to door sharing the gospel or passing out leaflets. We were here at Redeemer, we were going to do Easter egg kits. Mm-hmm. That would be breaking right. governor's law. Right. Uh, not law, it would, but it would be. It yes. would break his, 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 uh, it would, his I mean, if you're executive. It's like spreading. If you yes. had the coronavirus, it would be directly, directly spreading, spreading it. The, the church would be a, assisting people right. in getting a deadly devi- right. virus. Well, I don't think we're into yeah, that. Yeah, why don't you send your kid out there yeah. and grab these eggs? Right. That, you know, we right. specifically laid. You know, I, I had this weird thought. I was like, is there any way we can do that? Because some of the people from our church in the past have um, have kind of like snuck up to people's homes and yeah. left, say, 10 or 20 eggs yeah. in their front yard. Yeah. And we were one of those like, houses last so year. So could we could we have like grab her arms wherever you know? It's like no, you can't. You 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 have to fill the eggs. There's just not a way to do it. No. Um, and so here's the thing. There there's this kind of sidebar on this article that talks about. Well, here's the thing. This is uh, we're experiencing discomfort right now, and mm-hmm. this discomfort might grow us some. But my uh, I don't know if you would agree with this or not. But my general takeaway from this is sure these things. Um, are kind of hang-ups to consumer Christianity, 
But I think the only antidote to consumer Christianity is the work of the Holy Spirit and oh, yeah. discipleship. Yeah. The only reason that I yeah. ever changed from, from what I think, most of the time consumer Christianity is just the first stage of a brush with Jesus where you just go, you know what I would really like? If I could just kind of use you yeah. to get salvation, right. this could be entirely transactional. Right. I will take salvation that you apparently are freely offering from what they say to me, and then we'll just, you'll do your thing, I'll do mine. Uh, that's the first phase of Christianity for a lot of people, right. but through, for me, it was through the discipleship of some hard-nosed people who knew what genuine tough love was. Right. I learned that there's more to life than just sitting on a couch, doing the things that I like doing and not having people give me any trouble otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that, that maybe there are better things for this world than, than me living like a 14-year-old my whole life. You know? um, and so we, we are experiencing kind of like some of this, but I think overall the only antidote to right. uh, consumer Christianity is discipleship, the work of the Holy Spirit, yeah. knowledge of who right. Christ is and what he has come to do in this world and how you have a role to play in that. Um, care mo- caring more for other people than yourself, which is just, this is the hard work of being the church, yeah. applying the gospel, walking with people, bearing with one another the same way people have born with you and I. The, th- this is the only way that Christianity goes forward. And so it's an opportunity. Um, I, I, I don't... Kill is a strong word, right? It's an impossible right. word. And I think it, it works well for a blog, right? but it doesn't work well in actuality. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. Um, now, before we move on to the decadent society, you mentioned before we started um, what I think is a good question, and I can tell you that the way my church has answered it is like, well, postpone. Uh, yeah. How should churches uh, do communion, anything like communion, yeah. uh, during this time? Yeah, so um, there's two articles that have been kind of floating around. One was Gospel Coalition. The second was uh, Founders. Um, and, uh, and asking these questions about how do we do baptism in the Lord's Supper in a virtual world? Like, if we can't meet together, well, the first one's pretty easy. You can't do baptisms. Right. <laughs> yeah, any, I mean, you can't do like distance baptisms, you know, where the person sits in the bathtub and the pastor's there on the video. Like, that's, right. that's an easy one, right? And if right. anyone's out there doing that, like, stop. <laughs> Right, you know, this, <laughs> please stop now. Goodness gracious! The sake the roots, of us all, the roots of baptism, and then the <laughs> furtherance of baptism in Christianity. This is all about the presence of other people. Yes. A proclamation: I am going from darkness to light. Yeah. Wash me of the darkness. Yes. yes. With, I will join the light, and all of you are here because you keep me accountable. Yes. Yeah, you can't do that. Don't do that. We, we don't want to go back to the Anabaptist days of people baptizing themselves right. like on their own authority. Right. No. Right. Now there's there needs to be. And, and this is the thing. People who might be saying, well, no, what, those people could be witnessing that. Now, listen, man, when I'm at home watching something online, my attention is not anywhere near on that like it is it, in real here's life. Here's the thing. Yeah, here's yeah, the thing. Yeah. It is one thing for you to think I'm paying attention to you. It is another thing for us to have the accountability of sitting here looking at each other right. and you being able to tell. 
yeah. at any moment. Yeah. If you look over and I'm just kind of over here going, yeah, Matt, whatever. Yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever yeah, you yeah, say, yeah, man, yeah. I'm for it. I'm with you. Yeah. Listen, and this is why, like, we're all living this right now with these things that want to distract us all the time. So yeah. presence is huge. Yeah. Presence is more vital now than it ever yeah. has been. So, right. so the baptism thing, we can just leave it off. Even yes. if you think we can't leave it off, we can leave it off. While that may be an easier issue to, to solve, the, the Lord's Supper, I think, is where people have, have, have some conflict. Because I think the same rule applies. Yeah. If you can't have the church together, gathering together, right. um, in the presence with one another, you're right. Doing the Lord's Supper digitally or vi- virtual, whatever word you want to use, separate, where people basically can use whatever bread and juice they want, right. um, and not everyone's on is involved, right? Mm-hmm. Some people aren't able to be involved, and people aren't 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 connecting the significance of this, the reverence of this, through a virtual video, and then you take the bread and the cup digitally. It's you're 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 breaking these rules of right. presence, being in place, being able. But you may be saying, "Well, we can't be in place," and so therefore, how do we do the Lord's Supper? And I think the way that I've I believe this, and in some of the, this, especially this one article, really articulate articulate articulated this really well, is that this is a time of suffering. That's right. And this right here is something we cannot make shift or create some alternative version right, of right. to make us feel more comfortable or to give us a sense of calmness or resolution. This is a time of suffering, and I think we should not do the Lord's Supper until we can yeah. be together. And I think, and I know a few churches uh, that are doing the Lord's Supper on Friday uh, or doing it this coming Sunday or have done it in the past during this time, and I think they're wrong, and um, I realize that they're not horrible people, they're not evil right. churches. I think what they're trying to do is to, hey, we do this every year during this time, and so it's just something that people expect, uh, and we do it every week at our church, mm-hmm. and so it is a huge issue for us um, not being able to take the Lord's Supper during our normal worship time, but I think it's something we've tried to communicate to our church that this is a time of sorrow, it's a time of pain. This is one particular way that we are um, really experiencing pain is we can't even take the Lord's Supper together. Right. How, really much showing our distance uh, and our inability to worship together and take the body together right. uh, and drink the, the blood together. So um, so that's kind of my view on this. And, um, and you should, if you are, a, and I don't know if, if you would agree with this, didn't, but I mean, a uh, 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 Jackson, but... If you are a member of a church that is doing the Lord's Supper during this, I would maybe ask your pastor why they're doing it. Not to be disruptive, not to cause division, but just ask to see if they've thought through it, you know. And, um, and if they have, and if they give you a position and you want to, you know, being a, a good member of your church, you uh, respect the views of your elders and pastors, then I think that's good. But if they don't give you a good answer, I think you should expect one, right. or something like this. Um. So I'm, you and I are in complete agreement about this one. It's just the Lord's Supper is this acknowledgement that we are here together now longing for a time of complete togetherness. Right, and right. it it kind of really puts a point on the fact that we cannot be together mm-hmm. right now. But I mean, you know, look, the scriptures say that when we eat the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, right. that his death made us one. This is right. this was, you can see it in the New Testament, this was a fellowship meal mm-hmm. where everyone felt especially one with each other, that, that we were saying to each other, we are unified in purpose, we are unified because of the blood of Christ, 
He's the only one who could have done this for us who were very different and who in some ways still are different. Mm. But he fights for us to be one. And now we sit here together and that's why we have this meal. And so that is something that we can do uh, most of the time, but we can't do right now. And so we can attempt to substitute. Uh, but these, these substitutes, in a lot of ways, I think the only reason we've got to the point where we think we can substitute is because we've already individualized it too much. We have the little little squared off sections of cracker in you know in these little individualized cups yeah. and we, we just kind of go look we already we're all just individuals doing our own thing it's like no i mean we're not supposed to be that's mm-hmm. not jesus didn't die so that we could all just kind of be individuals never having much to do with each other right he in fact died to make us who were separate from him and from each other one with him and with each other and yeah. that's the whole idea behind what we're doing in the lord's supper uh communing with him and with each, each other. other so we yeah. look forward to that that's yeah. uh, that's something that uh, we can't no matter what no matter what we think we're going to do anytime here in the near future we're not going to do this again for a while and when we do get to do it we should redouble our efforts to say jesus so. you know we we believe you're the only one that can make us one and and look if if for anyone who thinks boy we've already we've, we've gotten there well look the book of acts says that people held everything in common that when people were in need People said, all right, then I'm going to give to you because we're one. Yeah. And that's where our churches ought to be. That's, yeah. That is a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is what we are to be to this world who says, you know, look, you can kind of like watch out for other, each other but not sacrifice for each other. It's like, well, you don't love each other. If you right. can't sacrifice right. for each other, you, you don't love. love each other. That's right. So um, we want to get there. That's good. So we're going to move into it. The Decadent Society. Um, Ross Douthat wrote this book. It just came out... Um, about two months ago, he was on a book tour. Um, he was actually on a book tour when this whole coronavirus thing uh, popped up. He's already been pretty sick. It's, uh, there's a whole story. I listened to this uh, podcast called The Argument where he and some other uh, opinion writers for the New York Times are on. Um, and so he's been sick. He got tested for the coronavirus. He and, and one of his children was particularly sick. Mm. It came back negative, but he still questioned it because he said that he had that shortness of breath, which a lot of people talk about. Yeah. And um, being on a book tour would be a ter- terrible situation. Um, in book tour. <laughs> and uh, so he, he may or may not have had it. Um, and so this book, he still did get to go around and talk about it um, some. But here is the, the basic premise that we have entered into a period of, of decadence, and the word decadence, uh, think of the word decay, mm-hmm. that uh, a, a way you can look at American history is think about there, there has been a time of barbarism in American history where that a lot of uh, people who were not terribly civilized, and so you could think of the colonial period all the way through the 1800s, and basically what a lot of people say is that um, the early 1900s, through, say, 1965 or so would have been the civilized period, Mm -hmm. that we left barbarism. People really, this country really kind of uh, galvanized and came together, and and it had to in in a lot of ways because of the fact that World War I comes along. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of American history, I mean... 1914, right? Yeah. So you got Teddy Roosevelt kind of galvanizing America a little bit before, but then... Look, World War One called for action, mm-hmm. and then we had a period after World War One that we had a Great Depression, mm-hmm. which again you have a major problem, which draws people together towards one purpose, and right. then of course World War Two comes right. along, and the last kind of uh, major 
element or major part of the period where you could say we were galvanized and civilized uh, was the space race. Yeah. That people went, wow, this is the next frontier. Yeah. We got to get to space before yeah. the communists do. Yeah. This is this is how we're going to have a military future. How we can protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, the claim is that decadence and the decay, the the aimlessness, kind of took over after we made it to the moon. Yeah. And there wasn't a great sort of goal. Right. And then we didn't know exactly what we're doing. You could think about how, basically, what you see in the '60s and '70s is like well, we don't exactly know what we're for, what we're after. We're just going to try a bunch of different things. And that this continues to today, uh, that that basically we are now in this period of, of decay and aimlessness. Aimlessness. Uh, yeah. That we, we don't really have goals as a society, sure. nor could we agree if we started just saying, like, let's, let's get together and come up with what are the five things we want to accomplish. Oof. Probably not likely that we right. would settle on right. what are the, you know, right. the five things that America hopes to accomplish right. in right. the next... Or even the, or the Western world, especially uh, in the next say fifty or hundred years, yeah. um, and that that's a big problem, because then, well, what are people after then? What are people going to spend their lives doing? Um, and and so he makes some specific claims um, that we are that we are in decay in terms of our politics, uh, which is uh, in stalemate, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of our public institutions. Uh, which he uses the term sclerotic, uh, that our public institutions don't accomplish much. They're not effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and which starts so, with the, I mean, the U.S. government, right? Right. I mean, hardly with the polarization of of the United States and therefore being centered in the in you know Washington. You know the it's the it's the does nothing accomplishes nothing. Congress, I think that's been its title and label for right. A whole decade, if not longer, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so let's take each one of these. So, so he basically says he says in politics, in public institutions, in in science, a kind of in, in technological development, um, we are in decay. So, what do you think about this? This is mainly. Um, you got into politics probably because you believe this is a very useful. Tool. What have you come to think about politics ever since you had the experience of getting a degree in politics, yeah. and how do you view our politics right now? This so, is a broad question. Yeah, so I, I can take you down memory lane for a second. Um, so I was a junior in high school during the 2000 election. Okay. Uh, and I would say that was my first taste of kind of politics, and it's kind of a idealism, I would say, just to kind so of like... This is uh, fat George W. Bush versus Al Gore. Yeah, there's Al Gore. I remember staying up all night, just mm-hmm. devouring every every piece of news about this, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that was just kind of like, yeah, I kind of like this a lot. Um, and then decided to do it in college and was, you know, um, more interested in the topic and the discussions and got into watching the West Wing TV show, mm-hmm. which creates an idealistic dream world sure. for politics, right? A government that is always trying to do the best and accomplish what's best for the people, even if you disagree, right? right. That's kind of the story right. that it yeah. portrays. Leaders who are willing to sacrifice willing for their to sacrifice, people, working hard because they, they want their people's best interests. Yes. Right, exactly. Democrats, Republicans, yes. compromise, doing what's best for the country. Um, and so you, you go to college. You actually worked for the Republican Party uh, at a, after college and realized that, that that dream was a dream and not reality. 
met some state congressmen in North Carolina, was not all that impressed with them. Um, and I think you start to realize that uh, politics is very much ego-driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's personal agendas, not community agendas or societal agendas. Um, and, and also, you know, I, uh, again, was in high school, uh, actually before high school, got into like, that's when uh, Apollo 13, the movie came out, mm-hmm. right? That for me, that would kind of got me uh, up to speed on the Apollo missions, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you watched on. This was like, I think this was Tom Hanks, was an executive producer for an HBO miniseries called From Earth to the Moon. Did you watch any of this? Basically, it was like um, a miniseries, multi episodes, kind of like Band of Brothers, like okay. the the World War Two show he did on like the space race, and it took you through like. Every to the Mercury program to the Gemini program, which is Mercury was the one man, um, and then Gemini was the two man craft, mm-hmm. and Apollo was the third third man, three men, and which then it went to the moon. It went through every Apollo mission. It gave you all these backstories and all the people involved, and you're like, what an exciting time! Like they had an episode um, that really kind of maybe helps to understand the sacrifice for a national agenda, right? Um, there's an episode of the the contracting company, the company that won the contract, and I can't remember which one, um, that got the contract for building the limb, which was the craft that yeah. Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, right? Um, they they when they built that, this this the, the kind of the with the guy who was the program director of this kind of told all the guys, hey, tell your wives you're not gonna be home for a while. There's like a national sacrifice, right? They realized beating the Russians to the moon had importance and so they sacrificed like they worked long hours to build this craft that would land on the moon and then take off from the moon right the way that it did and then reconnect to the command uh, the commander module as it f- orbits around the moon right how the engineering of that they did in the 60s mm-hmm. as i've read we have more uh, pow- like the your iphone has more computing power than the computer they used that right. guide guided right. that craft to the moon right and we don't go to the moon anymore. Right, yeah, yeah. It's just you know, like, what, yeah. it's mind <laughs> it's so What are you doing with your iPhone? You know, what are we doing? Yeah. It's so mind-blowing. <laughs> and I remember reading this 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 article that you gave. Um, and what we... All the technological advancements right. are simply communication advancements. That's right. Or entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to watch, listen to more music. I remember when Steve Jobs came out with the iPhone or the iPod. Mm-hmm. He said, now you can hold a thousand songs in your pocket. Right. And you're like, wow, that's cool. But it didn't get us to Mars. Right, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it didn't, like, cure a disease. Uh, it didn't do anything. Like, we didn't get to, I mean, it wasn't like the warp drive. Right. You know, which in Star Trek. Right. That was, like, the big historical moment, right, when they were able to create warp drive. And it's like, which then created this bigger world, right, this bigger universe. And And so, like, what... What has been created or invented technologically in the last 20-so years that have really moved us further uh, as a society, as a world? Um, it, it is, once you start thinking about it, you're like, really nothing has really been... We haven't been able to be a part of something like the, the 60s with right. uh, the space race. Uh, and I feel kind of cheated yes, in a way. And mm. I remember uh, I served with... a. A man at a church in Illinois, and I remember him telling me um, what it was like 
to be a kid when uh, World War II was happening and how they would uh, travel the neighborhood gathering um, scrap aluminum to support the war effort. And not only that, cats, because cat gut was a real thing that parts of cats could be used to, I don't know, to... And so the gathering cats, sorry, cat lovers. Um, but I, I mean, I remember I just went, I have never felt even a hint in my life of being a part of something that big in that way. Yeah. That as a kid, we could serve and help in some way. And that it was that dire that we needed to. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, everything from that to, I, I know uh, anybody who's heard of a guy named Ben Sass, who's a, a senator in Nebraska. Yeah, I'm a big fan. He talks about fan, yeah. how basically Congress has advocated all responsibility. The role of Congress is, is to come up with legislation to attempt to solve our problems. And he says basically Congress is now a party to what they call the judicial usurpation of power that judges are now making decisions. I mean, think about yep. the, the big decisions that have been made in our lifetimes, things like Roe versus Wade, things gay marriage. like gay marriage. Yep. This has all come through mm -hmm. the courts. And look, it's mm -hmm. a different thing if change comes through the courts versus if it's legislated. If the people yeah. vote on it, that's democracy. Right. It was never the goal uh, of the founders that, that these sorts of major changes what happened through the courts. But that is that is not only what we uh, come to experience, it's what we pretty much expect now, that tough legislation won't, won't be worked on, nor will it ever pass. And so as a result, people go to the courts. And that's yeah. a big problem. This is uh, where politics is now. There's an episode, uh, again, again, I am a poli-sci major and watched a lot of West Wing. Um, but there, and I know you watched Little West. Yeah, I watched a couple of seasons. So I think it's, um, I think it's either season two or season. I think it's season three. There's an episode called Hundred Thousand Airplanes," and it talked about the war effort and how they, you know, and Roosevelt and how they were, um, how much planes they were going to need to beat the Germans and the Japanese, and they had to produce so many airplanes, remarkable amount. They made, and they actually produced more than they needed. This was just the, when you get a nation behind a mission, and, and it creates this machine that can accomplish even the unthinkable. And that's really kind of the, the heart of the 60s space race, right? It's like, well, we did this in World War II. We can do this again. Yep. And in the episode, he um, is wanting to basically do similar to what JFK did and say, hey, by the end of this decade, we're going to cure cancer. This is kind of the deal. And he wanted to include it in his State of the Union address. And uh, so if any of you don't watch uh, West Wing, but Sam Seaborn is played by Robert, Robert, uh, I mean, Rob Lowe and one of the best characters in the show. And he's the only one for it. He's, and he was the one that writes it into the, in the speech. But they ended up cutting it and ended up not stating it mm -hmm. because they, they, the point was, it's like, well, how much is it going to cost? And are people going to support it? And are people going to, are, is people in Congress going to feel like, you know, we um, didn't include them as we thought about this before we wielded it out, right? What if we fail? Right. All these questions then cause them to remove it from yeah. the speech. 
And Aaron Sorkin, who wrote most of the show, I think is somewhat saying, like, where is that moment for the 90s and the 2000s and yeah. now 2010s, yeah. 2020s? Where is that moment where a leader says, we're going to accomplish this? Yeah. I, I know that it's a risk. I know it's going to cost money. I know that it's going to cause uh, to us to kind of come together to do this. We all have to agree that this is important, but we need to do this. That, that hasn't happened since JFK made that speech. Yeah, and this may be... Um a theme that we run into in, in these various areas, but uh, when you get really big, uh, you become risk averse. That you yeah. don't want to take risks, and it is certainly a risk to come out with these big bold statements uh, and say we'll accomplish this big thing, we'll accomplish that big thing. Um, this is what is needed yeah. to, to take risks, and this is uh, at the highest levels is the easiest thing in the world to tell someone else to take risks. But in our own lives, uh, taking risks, making educated guesses about what the best goals and ambitions that we should have for ourselves and for the organizations that we're a part of, uh, we have to do that. That is, mm-hmm. that is what leadership is. Leadership is not just bureaucracy and maintenance and management. Leadership is looking at what the wide world out there has going on and saying, well, here's where we're going to aim at. Mm-hmm. And if in 10 years we didn't make it, well, then we gave it a shot. Give it a shot. Uh, rather than just going, you know what? Uh, we can just act like we tried something and say and blame other people mm-hmm. when it doesn't go the way that we want. And, and you know, in terms of politics, this is the uh, we have expert people in blaming other people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is we, we seem oh, yeah. to really have great political leaders who can blame others for not. Uh, not letting them accomplish their goals, and those are not the kind of leaders we ought to keep electing. Absolutely. Um, and so, in, in this in this regard, uh, probably the most straightforward element of this: our politics are not functional, and, and they seem to become less functional. That we are, we are um, gridlock is, is sometimes um, something that happens in democracies when you have people who believe different things, um, but to refuse to legislate for the common good, uh, is reprehensible in a politician. Yeah. That's the whole reason they're elected, That's to totally figure right. out what would help the people right. and then to work towards it. Uh, and, right. and we have to have that. Right. Um, so, that, so the second element, I think, will be um, certainly neither of our specialties. It might be a little tougher to assess, but this public institutions mm. uh, element... Uh, so since we we lead public institutions, oh, I mean like churches, which are institutions, but sure. it is yeah, yeah, we're not in government or in, right. you know, not United Nations or the type of like major institutions, but we do have localized institutions, so maybe we'll have something to sure. say, yeah. Um, so I I don't think you know uh, you can think of, of, of things like uh, when Social Security was founded um, that you have this big issue where. There are people who are so impoverished and can't work, and so the government is going to come along and give them a basic uh, living wage of sorts to, to be able to, to keep them alive. And, and, and where we are right now, I mean, a part of what is, is discussed in, in regard to decadence is that it's not as if this is just wholly negative. The story, in a lot of ways, is we're victims of our own success. Mm-hmm. We started some things that are now very difficult to maintain, and Social Security would be a great example of something oh, that's like, yeah. look, I don't want grandmothers kicked out on the curb. Right. So they call the third rail of politics, right? You jump off of it, you die. Right. <laughs> but 
we don't have the money that we're spending on all these entitlement programs. And so what we do is we just build up these big bureaucracies of people who are supposedly administrating care. And really, the, I mean, look, coming from a pretty impoverished area, the reputation of somebody getting a government job, well, they have insurance, they have much more perks than the private sector. And if somebody doesn't want to work in the private sector and wants to work for the only for a public sector job, that's a very bad situation. Yeah, sure. Because you can't operate off of just the people who are being taxed, well, off of just taxpayer income. The, the public sector generates the revenue right. for the whole of society, and then we can tax based upon that. But when people want to only live off of uh, public sector, off of government, uh, taxpayer-paid work, that's a big problem. I mean, yeah. you, you can't, that's not sustainable. It's just it's not. not. And, 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 you know, the other side of this is, again, from coming from working class people, the general reputation is that, look, government jobs are gravy. You, you get in there, it's very hard for anybody to get you out, That's whether right. you really do your job mm -hmm. or not. It's, I, I would just be very surprised to sit down um, anywhere but at the highest levels and talk to somebody who's saying, no, I got that government job, and that's when I really started bearing down and doubling my efforts. I said, I'm working for <laughs> Uncle Sam, and I better take right. pride in my profession. Right, right. N not so, generally. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, this is an interesting thing. There's an, uh, a book, um, I don't know if you've um, read much, and uh, David Brooks, um, who's a I've read editorial for New York Times, very, uh, very good writer, um, writes, on, writes on, like, spirituality as well on some issues, and he's more conservative. He was an anti-Trumper, so he's kind of, like, somewhat left the Republican Party, similar to, like, George Wills. But um, he, he has a chapter in one of his books called Road to Character, about George Marshall, who was, you know, second in command of the European forces during World War II. Uh, it's the Marshall Doctrine, the Marshall Plan, you know, of kind of how they were going to, like, um, support and re restore Europe, right, after the war. Um, he talks about, Marshall believed in the institution, that institutions are good. They basically have been built up over time, um, they have problems, sure, because they're big, but uh, supporting the institution, right, not abandoning the institution is important. And sometimes the institution is, like for George Marshall, who was probably believed that he deserved to be where Eisenhower was. And Eisenhower was, ended up being promoted to being the supreme commander of the, of the forces, and Marshall had kind of believe that he should be in that position, but instead supported Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. And Marshall continued to be a supporter of the institution. He didn't abandon right, the right. institution when it didn't give it give him what he wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we're in, a, in an age where um, you know, people hate the U.S. government, they hate Congress, the no-good Congress, the does-nothing Congress. And I think that's letting, led to a lot of people not voting, mm -hmm. not supporting yeah. The, the democracy through their vote and through their civic duty and being involved. And I think it's a lot of abandonment of the institution because the institution has got flaws. It's had issues. It's made mistakes um, because people are in institutions. But I think it's important, especially at this time, to 
think about how can I make a better, um, how can I affect change in the institution? Mm-hmm. Not abandoning the institution. Same goes, like, again, going back to like I was saying earlier, we kind of lead smaller institutions and churches, and people have said similar things. Oh, the church has got problems. The church yeah. uh, makes mistakes. There are, pe- there, are, there are bad people in the church. There's always drama. There's politics. Church never affects any people's mm-hmm. lives, right? It's almost the same thing that people say about the government. And I think in this day and age, instead of being some kind of like, well, I'm going to jump off the bandwagon and I'm going to start my own institution, mm-hmm. I think it's a, a good time to go, okay, it's got problems. Let's identify some of these problems. And how can I affect that change? Mm-hmm. How, what can I do either from a church level or even from a public governmental level? What can I do? And I think it goes back to what JFK said, you know, what can you do for mm-hmm. your country? Not what the country can do for you, right? funny how JFK's words do have a lot of impact in this decadence time. It's like, it seems like the 60s and that kind of youthful feel almost needs to be reborn, right? I don't know if there's a certain spirit of the 60s of risk-taking, prosperity, progress, uh, kind of an optimism of the future. It almost needs to be maybe reborn, um, where institutions were seen as something that can can produce positive change, um, and that's just some kind of a way full behemoth right. that we, just is so big that it can't do anything. We good. want it. I, I get the flavor that I get from a lot of what Ross Douthat writes and what he says uh, is that unfortunately there is a lot of um, cynicism that, that a lot of people uh, don't have a lot of optimism. They kind of go, I don't, I don't think it's going to get any better. any better. And and you know, part of this is uh, getting away from blaming other people, uh, doing what we can do. Um, but in, in terms of this third uh, element, I, I view us as being just sort of in a surprising lag that uh, this, this issue of technology, that we got used to certain kinds of technology really changing, and really for the last, say, 20 years, uh, things like iPhones are about all until we've got information, you know, um, and, and really, and, and in a lot of ways, what it's done for us is, is not a whole lot as far as, you know, look, I know that I have access to thousands more TV shows than I used to. What does that do for me? Not that no, much. Not that I mean, much. look, we've all experienced this flipping through the channels going, I don't know what, yeah. you know, and now you've flipped through even more channels and, uh, you know, you, you, uh, <laughs> when, you, when you have this experience where you're sitting there on YouTube going, I've looked up everything I can think of. Yeah. Well, that's a bad experience. What is uh, as Jerry Seinfeld says that the last thing to fall asleep is the finger. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just, still, just searching the for channel. entertainment. Yeah, Looking for something, not, something yeah, to entertain me. So we've we've had this. I really do think it's temporary. I think there will be technological advances. I just think we've been in this lull, um, and that some of these things are coming. Now, look, it, it has caused us, I think, to lose a little bit of, of faith that much is changing because there hasn't been a whole lot that has changed beyond things like entertainment. Um, so, so I think it's coming, but the, the big danger is innovation comes because people have a vision for it. People have uh, things that they want to be changed, and a lot of people are, uh, I don't even you can't say satisfied, they're just lulled in a lot of ways. And that lull is a lot of the description of what it's like to be in decadence. Well, I'm not happy, but I'm not frustrated. Yeah, I find I'm it, just kind it, of 
ameliorated. It was I'm so interesting. Yeah, it was so interesting that I, you know, my my father uh, works on airplanes, right? Mm-hmm. He um, he doesn't do it. He's now upper management, right? He's a suit now, but he's you know he used to be a mechanic, and it was he did that in the navy. But I, I like what the in this article, first things Back to the Future mentions. He's like you know even aircraft advancements. We're not going any faster. Actually, we're going slower than we were before because mm-hmm. the Concorde. But then no one flies the Concorde anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Air France and British Airway, I think, were the only two air uh, companies that had the Concorde. That basically the flight from New York to Paris from New York to London was cut in half, I believe, by the Concorde airplane. Um, and we don't even fly faster right. from New York to Paris or New York to London than we did in the '60s. Right, and yeah, that's crazy. Isn't you know, it? And, and and it was. Pretty disheartening in terms of finance to see that basically uh, income per family in America has been in decline since the 70s. Right. Uh, Purchasing power, I think, has been argued as grown, but mostly because the things that people are buying, like iPhones, are mostly entertainment technology. Okay, cool. TVs are cheaper. Right. So the guy, the richest guy in the world, and someone in the middle, middle America, middle class America, he may have the same size TV. Right. Like that's that's nothing. I mean, you know, you could think of it in terms of like, look, your average American is not going out there buying a new car every couple of years. Cars are very expensive, yep. as are homes. Right. Uh, properties is very expensive, and so buying power in terms of the big things has not increased. And when you see that data, you kind of go, wow, you know, this is not, we're not having gains here. No, we're not. Uh, the economy adjusted after the 50s and women entered the workforce yep. and uh, the economy adjusted to go, okay, you should all own two cars then. And we now have the income for two people that one person was able to That's right. earn around uh, That's right. there in the 50s because the economy adjusted to it and said, you know, this is great. You know, more labor. More labor. Or you, you Cheaper get, labor. You get less and that we like that. And that's, um, that is another uh, symptom yeah. of this. Uh, but the fourth one, which I forgot to mention earlier, and one that I think that we could speak directly to and ask more of is he talked about cultural decadence, that mm-hmm. we are making the same movies over and over again. And, and you know it, this is a thing that needs to be called out because we're not even we're not even sneaky about it anymore. I mean, in my world, in the gaming world, uh, tomorrow will be released a game called Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was a big deal that came out in the '90s. Final Fantasy VII, which is a celebrated game, but now they're just going to remake it as they do so many other things. You know, they're going to have we're going to have another Ghostbusters come out soon. Where uh, I, I I am someone as we've talked about I, I like most of them but I recognize that most Marvel movies are just rehashes of the same couple of ideas but most movies that we deal with now are rehashing I agree ideas that came up in the eighties yeah. uh, or the nineties and we kind of go you know what there's probably some people who haven't watched this lately I mean goodness gracious I am one of the strongest critics of this ridiculous idea of Disney going like hey you like that Aladdin movie what if we just did the same movie. Yeah, but we did it with real people, sort of. Right. Well, that's that. I wouldn't. That would be the same movie done over. I'm not into it. I'm yeah. not. I'm not about it. And that's. I mean, it's. If what we are doing for the next ten or twenty years is just kind of going, hey guys, don't worry, we've we've dug up some other old stuff that we're just going to keep remaking. This is this is a sign. Of, I mean, no risk. Right. Aimless. It's safe. Right. Predictable. 
It will not hit a home run, but it will probably get its money back, which is our big concern. Right. Uh, we're, we're not swinging for the fences anymore. We're swinging for like a double. Right. You know. Have you? I don't know if you've ever read Jim Collins' uh, first uh, great to uh, good to great. great good to great. Um, I think it's Jim Collins that is the big hairy goal. Is that him? Uh, I've read that one. Term the term that's thrown around a lot in kind of a church planting world is. Uh, what's your big hairy goal? Uh, it seems like America needs a big hairy goal. True. Um, not only does science and because I mean I feel like Silicon Valley is the one really kind of pushing culture and as this article says, Silicon Valley has very little to show, right? I mean, what is what has Google ever produced? Um, there's not real physical things. It's right. an internet economy. Internet is is a bottomless tangible without tangible yep. benefit it's just it's just a communication tool yep. um and if if the internet economy of uber and some of these other things that are basically digital they're not physical they're not real they're not flesh and blood um if that's what's driving economic uh, advancements or technological advancements then we're going to continue to be kind of like uh, like, what is this? Right. It's not real. I can't touch it. I can't go 20 years from now and go to a museum and look at it like right. I can with the spacecraft or the limb. Right. Um, and so I think U.S. needs a big, hairy goal. To really, even, even when it comes to cultural like movies and stuff, right? it needs something to piggyback off of. I mean, um, that's the 60s was really much a part of that. Music was piggybacked off of this. Everything kind of piggybacked right. off of this hairy goal of, hey, let's go to the moon. You know, Star Trek. Yeah. Is there Star Trek without 60s space Well, that's space one thing race? to know about all of this is that um, people really, in, say, the first half of the 1900s, science fiction was popular because people went, you know what? If we make it to the moon, who knows? We might build an elevator to the moon. We might. We're probably going to colonize the moon. And then pretty much after that, we'll probably Mars in fairly short order, you know, uh, maybe maybe we'll be working on the people really the the scale and the scope will, had not sunk in that like look after we do the moon guys there's not we don't really have any idea yeah of you know how much money it cost Oof. <laughs> right and, and that was not hitting people and so then what what do we do next and so I agree with you and not only in terms of uh, if if we can we we need to find any common goals that we can. In the meantime, I would say to any leader of any institution, find goals for your people. Challenge your people. Mm-hmm. Ask them, if you could do anything, what would you do? Ask yourself that, too. Um, to to leaders, I mean, I, I hope and I pray that by the time you and I are old and gray and about to go, Jeff Bezos, look, more power, too. He came up with a great idea in Amazon. Yeah. But what was the legacy? What, what, yeah. are we, what do we look at and go, this was a worthwhile Use. I mean, Bill Gates right now seems to have some good ideas about with the Gates Foundation that he and his wife are working on, and more power to him. What what we need from our leaders right now is to look beyond the here and now to go where where could we go? Yeah. And uh, you know, there are certain guys that we we read an article you and I in preparing for this by Peter Thiel, who is pretty much uh, I I hear that he's the most influential. kind of conservative intellectual, which is wild to think of because he's got some pretty wild ideas. This guy's all about some ex- life extension. Uh, if I understand right, he uh, regularly has his blood processed 
in order that his body will not break down, and so his old blood is being replaced. He's uh, he's expanding, trying out some new. He's a guy that's gonna ideas. like upload his brain to like oh, the sure. cloud. Um, I guarantee you, you know, he'd be on board with that. Um, <laughs> but thinking outside of the box is something that we need some more of right now. And look, even on the individual level, thinking long term about what is it that I really want to have accomplished in the little bit of time that I've been given here um, beyond, you know, again, just, well, I can maybe shoot for that half a million dollar house and have a big back deck and barbecue and, you know, look, that's fine. But why don't we have bigger goals than than just that? Uh, That's my hope for myself and and for uh, everyone who is in a larger position of leadership in our world. We need to have big goals. And if mm. we can't do it at the largest level, let's do it. Um, then, then look, if, if what is determined by, say, Republicans and Democrats is that we can't come to common goals, then let's have the Republicans have a set of goals and the Democrats have some goals. And we, we've got to be working towards yeah. bigger things than what we're doing right now, which is basically, yeah, we, we know we're not accomplishing anything, but you know whose fault it is. It's those people's fault. Yeah, I, you know, I know that he's a kind of a controversial figure, and but I think if there's one person in our society today that is, it seems like he is thinking outside the box is um, Musk, yeah, at Tesla. Yeah. And uh, yeah. well, you know, again, I, again, as we started off, I mean, I got the electric lawnmower, man. I'm already already on the, already on the on path the, to yeah. Tesla, right? Yeah. But um, you think of I, you know, when it was kind of funny, and uh, is we we bought a new. Um, roof for our house last year mm-hmm. and I, no joke I I this, I went online and thought about the possibility of buying the Tesla roof mm-hmm. and it's like things like that like yep. I know that sounds simple I know that doesn't sound like we're going to Mars but if there's at least somebody out there going hey how do we change the roofing industry yep. how about we get roof panels that are all solar and you don't ever have to pay for electric ever again like yep. right, that who knows what that will do in the future? Or, yeah, so I think uh, there needs to be more Elon Musk's right. that kind of come out. And I think he could affect some, it, he could get us out of maybe some of this decadence if he is listened to and heard. Yep. And others kind of follow his example. Yeah. So, I agree. So go do it, everybody. Go do it. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is all, I guess, all we got, man. Yep. We've, uh, so this is uh, Empires of the Future. We'll be back next week and whatever country society we have left next week right so uh, as uh, as every day seems to be a, a new development in all this um, we'll see you next week have a good day everyone.